Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK, the nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany, and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a one trillion dollar tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk/greattalent to see how you can work, live, and move to the UK. Every year, one thing is always predictable: postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Welcome to Upfront. I'm Chloe Morgan. And I'm Rachel O'Sullivan. We're here with a slightly different episode today. Uh, Beth Mead's recent injury meant she joined an alarmingly long list of women's players who are currently out with ACL injuries. Simone McGill, Alexia Pateas and Ellie Carpenter are just some of the players across the game who have suffered these awful injuries too in recent months. The stats are shocking. I mean, female footballers are up to six times more likely to suffer an ACL injury than their male counterparts. So on today's Upfront, we're asking why this is such a prominent problem in our sport, what it's like to actually go through it and what can be done about it. Later, we'll be joined by Aston Villa's Remy Allen, who ruptured hers back in April while playing against Manchester United in the WSL to discuss the mental and physical challenges of overcoming such a big injury. But first, last week, I caught up with Dr Emma Ross, She's a female athlete health specialist who co-founded the Well HQ, which helps educate coaches and athletes about women's bodies in sport. Dr. Ross, thank you so much for joining us. I feel like you've come at a very important time. It feels like with the growth of the game, we've also seen a massive growth in the number of these injuries. Beth Mead, the latest one, obviously. Um, feels like it's really becoming a bit of an endemic in the women's game. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I think when you play football at a high level, there is always a risk of injury. And ACL, unfortunately, is a very common injury in football because of the nature of running, jumping, turning, sprinting, stopping. But uh, we do know we've, we've got you know enough research to suggest that in, in female players, um, the ACL risk is greater. And that really seems to be coming through in reality, doesn't it? That we're seeing... Um, a number of female players suffering ACL injury time and time again. And it's not it's not a new phenomenon, but we don't seem to be getting on top of managing that. So you used to work at the English Institute of Sport and covered the Rio and Tokyo Olympics. Talk to us about the gender gap you saw in sport there with regards to information, research. Do you have any kind of football specific memories from around those tournaments? After 2016, so after the Rio Games, we really wanted to um, focus on female athletes. You know, we focused on a number of things in in the run up to the Tokyo Olympics. But one of the things we wanted to do off the back of Rio was say, do we support our female athletes well enough? And I guess the first bit of that is do coaches 
and all of the support teams that sit around an athlete or a team, do they really understand the female body and where there are sex differences in terms of training, recovering, performing, eating, injury, etc. And actually the level of knowledge about those sex differences at that time was, was pretty low, even in a high performance system like you know, the Olympic and Paralympic system. And that extended right across to, um, you know, sports like football. And actually in the women's game of football at that time, and probably still, there is, you know, such a spectrum of resources available to teams. Um, when you look even at, you know, something like the WSL and the Women's Championship, there's such a range of resources that some of the teams don't have adequate physiotherapy and medical support to be able to, you know, really treat and prepare these athletes for, for high performance. So that's a, a fundamental issue in sport is to make sure that we have the knowledge, but we also have the resources to back that up and actually be able to support those athletes. You kind of touched on it there in your first answer. Can we pinpoint a specific reason why women, per some studies, are up to six times more likely to suffer an ACL injury? I know there's lots of reasons that fly about, whether it's menstrual cycle or biometrics or, you know, is it that easy to pinpoint reasons? Injury is not easy, full stop. It's such a complex thing because it, it doesn't happen, usually it doesn't happen because of one, one particular thing. And when we're talking about ACL injuries, um, yeah, the, the data you described shows that um, female athletes are anywhere up to eight times more likely to suffer a non-contact ACL injury. So that's not someone running in and hitting them at the knee joint. It's them, you know, not making contact with anyone and still doing damage to their knee joint. Um, and on average, um, the research shows there is a, about a four and a half times um, greater risk in female athletes. Now, because injury is complex, we know that there are a number of things that contribute to that increased injury risk. And understanding those is really important because... As an athlete, like I say, you go out onto the onto the football pitch and you know that there is a risk of injury. And if in your preparation and your training and your recovery, you can do everything you can to reduce all of those risk factors, then you walk onto the pitch knowing you know, that you've done your best. So, for example, in females, there are things we know we can't change, like our skeleton. So because we're the childbearing half of, of the human race, um, we have wider hips so that we can give birth to children. But that, those wider hips means that we have a greater angle between our hips and our knees. And that in itself changes our biomechanics. And it means that we put greater angular stress through our knee joint. And that is an injury risk factor. But on its own, um, that's usually not enough. And we have to sort of pile on all the other risk factors. You mentioned menstrual cycle. And in football and actually in lots of other game sports, there's been you know headlines in the past about whether the menstrual cycle is a factor in injury. Now... We know that the hormones of the menstrual cycle might affect joints. So we know that estrogen affects the laxity or the looseness of a joint and makes it slightly more loose. And looseness is an increased injury risk factor. So if you've got a looser joint, it's not as stable and you might not have as much control. But again, on its own, that's not going to be enough. So that's just another layer of sort of female specific risk. And then some of the other things that come up for female football players are that we're generally less good at moving as women. So um, from the age of about five, there becomes a gender play gap. So girls and boys move and play differently. And that means we develop an ability to move our bodies differently. We just don't move as well. Um, and that's all really important because moving and being stable, but yet mobile and strong and powerful um, and having really good form 
is a really good sort of injury prevention mechanism. So we don't move as well. Um, we have muscle imbalance as females. So uh, we tend to have a, an imbalance in our, in our legs in terms of muscle strength. Our quadriceps, that's the big muscle at the front, tends to get stronger. And we, we tend to ignore our glutes and our hamstrings when we are training and conditioning our body as women, not consciously, but just that's the way we're wired. And that means we don't tap into the amazing power of our glutes and our hamstrings. So these are some of the physical differences. What about environmental or structural differences more broadly? I know that there's been a lot of talk recently about the issues surrounding women having to wear men's football boots, for example. Why is that such a problem? So when you put um, a female football player in a male boot, which has had a huge amount of technology put into it to make it amazing, um, but that's based on a male foot. Now, a male foot is a different shape. It's longer. It has a wider heel. And so it's, it's not based on the shape of a female foot, but it's also not based on the load that goes through the foot. So if you think about a man moving, he's going to be taller, he's going to be heavier, he's going to have more strength. That's just a basic kind of sex difference. And so when they're designing the fit of the shoe and the, the studs and how long they are and where they're placed and what they're made of and how rigid the, the shoe is, that's all based on the force that's being generated by a male body. And so when you put it, those boots on a female... It just doesn't work. And that can be an increased risk factor as well for injury. So again, if you throw all these things in the mix and then you throw in something like the fact that the women have had a busy summer of football and now they've gone into their season and they might be slightly more tired, fatigued, less recovered than they would have been um, in another year. You add these other in, uh, risk factors on and suddenly you get the perfect storm. Oh, that's fascinating. Load is actually something we've been talking quite a bit about and lots of managers have been talking about recently with the number of international breaks. Major tournaments are back to back now because of the pandemic. We're now getting a Nations League being added in by UEFA. You know, there's a new format in the Champions League. So top teams are playing more regularly. That also, I'm assuming, as you say, is a factor because I guess it takes the body a while to get used to an increase in football load. And whereas it feels now that it's happening very quickly because of all of these additions. Yeah, and I think we have to remember that, you know, female football has has had an exponential rise in terms of um, what we're seeing, the coverage, but also that means the, the games that the women are playing, the quality um, and the amount they're having to train, the professional contracts, meaning that they now, you know, are training more. Um, and that means that these girls haven't been doing that all their lives, like perhaps some of their male counterparts. And so it is a massive change and and we have to when we create these systems and we get really excited about the opportunities that we give athletes we have to remember that there's a human body in the middle of it and make sure we're taking care of that and i think um in the female in the in the women's game we also again need to make sure that there's, there's the resources around those players so we know in the men's game that some of these clubs have extraordinary facilities for recovery and rehabilitation and prehabilitation and really wrapping those players up as much as they can um, and supporting them to be strong, robust athletes. And we need to make sure that we do that in the women's game. And at the moment, there isn't as much equity as we'd like to see. So female player health and well-being and their ability to show up and be the best player on the pitch on any given day, you know, is going to be limited if we don't surround those players with, with the resources that we see um, surrounding, you know, the male players, because the, the load and the demand is great when you're playing week in, week out. 
I've been trying to make a list of players in 2022 that have had long-term or ACL injuries. It's coming up to maybe 40 or 50 athletes at this stage from looking at across, you know, the professional game, not just in England, which just seems crazy. And, and you touched there on equity in terms of resources. But in terms of knowledge, I assume that's quite an important thing as well. You know, you talk about how we exercise our muscles differently. Is part of that down to the fact that we're doing, say, fitness that maybe was designed for male players or or maybe it isn't specific to female bodies? Do you feel like there's enough research in terms of how to train female athletes? Yeah, that's one big gap that we know we have. So we published a paper um, last year which looked at all of the research into sports performance in the sport and exercise science field. Um, and we looked at who was being studied and only 6% of the research was done exclusively on female participant groups. So we know very little really about how to optimise the support of female athletes. When we talk about training, when we talk about nutritional approaches, when we talk about recovery, uh, when we talk about injury, you know, there's a lot we don't even know yet. Um, and, and when we are trying to support athletes, we're trying to go to the research and say, what's the best approach? And oftentimes we are taking an approach that we know is effective in men and we're assuming that it will work in women. And we can't always make that assumption. So, for example, we know that um, energy balance is vital for female athletes. And what that means is that when they're training a lot, um, they get enough energy through their diet to balance out that energy demand um, because we know that in the female body the response to not having enough energy is different than in a male body so in a female body um, if we don't have enough energy if we're training loads um, and we're not eating enough the first thing our female body says is um, well first of all we're wired for survival so um, I cannot survive and carry a baby at this time. That would that would kill me. So because uh, I don't have enough energy, so I'm going to turn off my reproductive system. And also that will save me energy. And also it won't matter because I can still walk around and I can still play football. So your body, sh that's the first thing that sort of gets shut down when we are in this energy deficit. And actually that's more common than we think in athletes who are, you know, trying to manage eating enough to fuel all of this training. Um, and whilst you know, shutting down the reproductive system might seem okay because these players might not want to start a family at the moment. So you might think, well, why would they need the reproductive system? But we know that the hormones of our reproductive system are absolutely vital for the health and well-being of these female athletes. So bone health, um, so protective against injury, but also building bone strength, immune function, cardiovascular health, brain health. We know that there's an increased risk of mental health issues when you've got energy deficit and you lose these hormones. So understanding all of that, you know, when I say it like that, you think, well, that, that would be really important if you're working with athletes, particularly as some of the research shows that 50% of soccer players, it was done in the US, um, are, are in energy deficit most of the time. They're not eating enough to fuel their training. Um, you think, wow, we, we should probably be all over that. Um, but we're not. Uh, and we don't, we don't have enough research and then we don't have enough education of the coaches, the sports scientists and the players themselves uh, about all of these sort of sex specific factors which can affect a player's health and performance. So we really need to, we need to up the research, but we also need to up the translation of the research to make sure that those people working in women's football know best practice. Yeah, 100%. And, and speaking of research, I mean, I know it almost sounds bad, but there's a lot of subjects right now that could be utilised to kind of further this research. How do you, I mean, capitalise is the wrong word, but how do you kind of turn such an endemic situation into something that could benefit players going forward? 
The interesting thing about injury research in particular is that it's quite tricky to do because um, you have to, most of the time, do retrospective analysis. So what that means is you can't just, you know, study someone in the hope or not the hope that they will get injured. So what you do is you you go out and you say, right, who has been injured? Let's let's study you and let's remember and try and capture all of the things that were happening around that time. And and whilst in football, for example, they might have recorded lots of things, you know, they might be doing fitness tests and they might have training logs. Um, and so they can capture some of that. But some of the things like, you know, where were you in your menstrual cycle? What was your sleep like at that time? Did you feel stressed? Um, you know, was there a, a, an additional life load? Sometimes people just, you know, have a hard time recalling that. And so really getting to grips with what what factors are influencing injury is often quite hard because we have to wait for it to happen and then look back and see and see what contributed. Um, finally, I wanted to ask that because obviously we've got a, a couple of players at the moment with ACL injuries, a couple of players who've done done it more than once, which I can't imagine what it's like doing it again. I know players who've done their ACL three times and carried on playing professionally, which is just incredible. But in terms of the mental health side of things, have you had experience dealing with the impact of what it's like to do your ACL and, and would you have any tools or suggestions that people could employ during this recovery period? Yeah, I think some for some time the the, the psychological and mental side of injury w- was overlooked and we, we focus on the physical, but actually there's a huge psychological element Um you you suddenly can't do the thing that that completely you know was was your identity and you can't be with your tribe you your body doesn't work in the way you want it to work all of those factors can really affect someone's mental health um and it's very individual so so the support that we give players has to be individual in the context of them and and what they're going through um we need to be really aware not to rush players back. So sometimes it can be a badge of honour to say, oh, I was back on the pitch, you know, X number of weeks after I had an ACL injury or surgery. Whereas actually then those players might be more at risk of of being re-injured. So it's not a badge of honour about the speed. It's about making sure it's the right time. And the way we can kind of get that right is not just to physically rehabilitate someone, but make sure we're supporting them emotionally and mentally so they don't feel like they need to rush back in. They feel like they're confident enough to take their time. But I think, for any team player, being injured and being and being apart from your team is really hard. And so actually, if there's one thing you could do, it would be to find ways to, to show up and, and be with those people. And whether that's um, going to training and watching and helping, you know, the, the take notes on, on people's performance and or whether that's meeting for lunch after training, you know, staying connected to your team and to your tribe is is really important. And having a really good plan so you can see the process and you can see how it might progress um, and giving yourself benchmarks um, so that you can go, oh, wow, look, you know, three weeks ago, I couldn't do this and now I can do this. I'm making progress um, because we know that, you know, having um, goals that are really attainable and realistic um, it is really helpful psychologically when you're you're on a long journey back. So we just really have to support the whole player when when players get injured. And and, and we know that, for example, 45% of people who have an ACL injury don't ever return to competitive sport again. And that's that's huge. Um, and the the players at the highest level of, obviously have really good support. So they will be in the, the bunch of people who have the best support to get back. But there is a real risk that that players won't so 
We have to do all we can to support them and really increase their chances of getting back on the pitch and getting back to the level they were at before. So we've heard about some of the scientific and physiological aspects from Dr. Emma there, but we wanted to find out more about what these injuries are actually like to go through. So I am delighted to say that joining us now is Aston Villa midfielder, Remy Allen. Hello. Hello, Remy. You're right. Awesome. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. you. <laughs> not too bad. Not too bad. Great to have you on. Um, you know, just a bit of a, you know, I've got, I've got to give yeah, Alice as an intro to the incredible um, sort of credentials of, of yourself before we jump straight in. So, you know, Remy, the club's uh, joint top scorer last season, uh, part of the Birmingham City side that reached the Champions League semi-finals, and you've been called up to the England senior team. So, yeah, just, a, you know, a few small welcome to the show um obviously we brought you on because you're going to be incredible in sort of providing a little bit of context you know going through some of these issues yourself we'd love to hear from you um just in terms of you know it'd be great for, for you to run through you know how your injury came about basically i know you sort of suffered that injury back in uh, april against man united but yeah if you could just sort of maybe sort of run us through what happened how it happened uh, and thoughts and feelings when, when it was sort of taking place? Yeah, sure. Um, obviously, it was the back end of the season, uh, last few games. Obviously, I was playing Manchester United at home. And I think when I reflect on the game and the week, there was probably a lot of fatigue going into that game. Um, and then we spent large times without the ball in that game. We, we was playing well, to be fair. We were defending really, really well. And I could feel myself towards the back end of the game cramping. And I was cramping post, like in every muscle going and I was thinking, wow, I, I must be fatigued because I'm not normally like this. And I looked at the clock and it was like 79 minutes. And I think, I thought I could probably come off here, but my pride wouldn't allow me to come off. I've never come off because I'm tired. So I was like, I'm not about to start now. Dig in, get through it, you'll be fine. Um, and literally two minutes later, um, I went in for a sort of a tired sort of challenge and it was a bit of a lunge. And I didn't really, I actually fouled the girl. I didn't touch the ball, I just sort of hit her. But as my foot planted, it, it, you know, it just felt like my knee went one way and my body weight went the other. And yeah, I hit the deck and obviously I was in a lot of pain. Um, it's funny actually, because the girls thought I was time wasting. My players actually thought I'd gone down tactically to, to time waste. And there I am screaming on the floor, holding my leg. Um, and yeah, the physio come on. And do you know, sometimes you just kind of know it's bad. It was one of their moments. Did you know it was an ACL injury straight away or, you know, like when it was confirmed, did you, were you kind of hoping maybe it's not as bad as I think it is? I, I had my suspicions. I knew it was bad because I knew how I reacted. Um, again, the only other thing I did, which I don't know why I did this when I think back, but I had a moment where I was like on the pitch thinking, I knew I couldn't play on. It felt like my leg was hanging off, but I thought, I'm not getting stretched off because if I get stretched off and then tomorrow I wake up and I can move and stuff, I'm going to look like a right <laughs> plank. That was honestly my thought process. So there I was getting like sort of like hobbling off a little bit. Um, but when I got back into the dress, so they took me obviously into the dressing room straight away. 
and the pain, the pain was just, I don't remember my first ACL ever being that painful. Um, I had a lot of morphine. They were just giving me more and more because I was like, I'm in so much pain. And I think I was in a little bit of shock because I kept shaking as well. Um, but as the sort of the days went on, I woke up the next day and I was like, oh, okay, I could have done with a stretcher. This is bad. Um, so I sort of, I had an idea, but you, you kind of never can really accept it till you hear the words. Um, so yeah, yeah. I think it's that, like in the, the sort of the moment itself, the adrenaline sort of takes over you. And I think that is a massive thing in the women's game, that there is this sense of, you know, pride and wanting to continue. I mean, we're never sort of ones really for this sort of dramatic, although we're seeing it some with the younger players, maybe the sort of dramatic dives <laughs> and the kind of, especially the dives yeah. in the boxes and things. But I think for the sort of older generation of players, we still have this quite stoic, um, you know, very get up, carry on. We've got to get the job through. You know, there's only 10, 15 minutes left to go. And I think, yeah, that, that does sometimes come at the detriment of, you know, things thinking about your physical well-being sometimes yeah that's how I describe you as a player Remy though is that tough mm. pride like and that's the thing probably as well is that when you go down you know it's bad like there's some yeah. players that just <laughs> don't stay down and you're one of them so yeah I think as well like the game suited me because we were it was backs against the walls it was defend for your life you know be aggressive dig in and as the captain I was like you don't come off this pitch. You don't, you don't ever do that. And then obviously when the injury happened, I was like, I tried to sort of sit up to go, come on. And then I was like, well, no, there's not a chance this. So obviously, yeah, like I knew it was, I knew it was probably going to be something. Um, like I said, I was sort of praying, oh, please don't be my ACL. I'm not in a space to deal with that right now. But then, yeah, I woke up. Well, I barely slept that night. I was just, it's just, you just can't lay with it. It's just horrible. Um, so then when I woke up the next day, everyone was like, you know, let's wait for the scan. Like, it's probably not going to be as bad as you think. And, you know, in your head, you're thinking, no, I know. I know this is going to be bad. So, and obviously, yeah, it was confirmed. I think it's that you want to stay positive. And I just have this image now of sort of all the players sort of clapping your back and giving you a cheeky wink going, yeah, Remy, thanks thanks for giving us those extra few minutes at the end of the game for a bit of a breather. Um, yeah. But I mean, we saw your post on on uh, Instagram a few weeks ago and you sort of talked about, you know, the, the mental battles that you can go through dealing with an injury of this scale. Because, you know, I think, you know, as soon as someone mentions the ACL or the MCL acronyms, all of a sudden, you know, your thoughts about rehab and the kind of time scale and what that means, um, you know, really hits home. So, yeah, if you could just sort of touch on, you know, how that made you feel once, you know, the diagnosis was was confirmed and, and how you thought then about the rest of your season and, and your career as sort of a, a more senior player. Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, the reason I put out that post is because I did actually just want to shed a little bit of honesty. I'm not saying for once because people are honest about it, but I feel like, you know, the thing to do is sort of we, we post all our accomplishments, we post all we've reached this goal and we don't probably show what it's took to get there or the, the feelings that you felt along the way. Um, and quite honestly, when I got my diagnosis, I was a little bit like, I don't think I can do this. Um, and I feel like my age was a factor within that with my mindset. You know, I'm 32 now facing a big injury. I'm at a contract at the end of the season. There was all these things going through my head. Um, and I was fortunate, well, I say fortunate, but um, because... I couldn't get full extension in my knee before the op. The surgeon was like, because we had, I had so many holidays booked. I had a wicked summer planned and it was, it was traveling America. So obviously that got scrapped straight away. Uh, but we had like a, like a, just a chill holiday booked to Turkey. And he was like, go away, have a mental break. Like, and then we'll come back and we'll do the op. Um, 
so it was sort of an opportunity for me to try and like try and gather my thoughts a little bit, get my head right. Um, and I'll be honest, I don't think I did. Even going into the op, I was very much like, oh my God, how am I going to do this sort of thing? Um, and yeah, like that's been my process. It's not been easy for me. Uh, the first time round, I, I, I did my ACL on my other leg when I was 18. Um, and obviously science has changed. The way we rehab now has changed. I know I wasn't full-time then, but I was fortunate, obviously, I was with England, so I got brilliant medical care. Um, and I thought that was hard. This has felt a thousand times harder. Um, so, yeah, the, like, like I said, the reason for my post was, I'd, like, people struggle with stuff every day. And I think sometimes now, as, as female footballers, we, we are looked as, looked as, as role models. Um, and I just wanted to be honest to say, like, I do struggle, I really do, and it's not easy. And if anyone's going through that, whether that's with their knee or anything to do with their mental health, like I just wanted to sort of be able to be relatable. Uh, so it was important for me to do that. I think the way the game is going now as well is clubs are becoming much more protective around the players and more protective of the information they provide around injuries and stuff like that. We often, it takes a while to find out what's happened to a player and you don't get, understandably, a lot of information about how the progress is going, right? You just kind of, get the odd photo here and there to, to say, you know, they're still rehabbing kind of thing. So I think it is quite important. Those kind of posts are quite important, not only for fans of the game or even young footballers who maybe aren't professional yet, but are going through injuries, like seeing that, as you said, your role models. So seeing you going through that, you're struggling, maybe they're struggling. There's there's kind of a, yeah, an inspiration, I guess, there. And, and also then for other players who are maybe injured, who might not feel comfortable speaking out, knowing that other people are going through that kind of thing. Yeah, and it was really nice for me because I received quite a few uh, like messages off different people um, going through injuries and that was just saying sort of like, thank you, thank you for saying that because it really makes me feel better about the way I've been feeling. Um, and that was, that was amazing for me and the reason that I put the post out in the first place. Um, so it was, it was nice to sort of have that interaction with them and sort of explain you know it's okay sort of thing um so that was brilliant and I it was it was a positive side of what I'm going through um your teammate Simone McGill is is also going through uh, recovering from an ACL injury as well um and said recently she had to learn how to walk again which is really shocking to hear um do you guys like do you share the ups and downs at club together are you kind of is one of one of you ahead of the other in terms of rehab I mean we spend every day together um, if I didn't know Sai before, I'm definitely going to know her by the end of this. Um, but no, she's been absolutely brilliant. Obviously, I was, I think, about five, six weeks ahead of her in terms of when I had my up versus when she had hers. But she's absolutely flying. She's She's been doing brilliant. And um, yeah, there's a, we've got a bit of a running joke. You sort of go in the gym and it's like, OK, who's, whose turn is it to sort of have the bad day today? It's often mine, to be fair. Sai's really, really good. Um, but yeah, it's it's one of them. Obviously, would never ever wish that upon her, and it's it's terrible for her. Obviously, coming in just signed for the club and not even getting to kick a ball for us. But she's been like a rock to me, and hopefully she'd hopefully she'd say the same. Um, so I really really appreciate her, and it's been really nice to sort of have someone constant with you that you can. And you know what it is? It's like other people can ask you how your knee is or what's going on, but no one really gets it. 
So when you're speaking to someone who's going through the same thing, you go, oh, my knee feels like this, or oh, I feel like this today, I'm just, oh, my head's not in it. And you know that they're going to get it. So I think that's been really nice for the pair of us to have each other to sort of bounce off. I just think, um, I mean, that's so key, I think, for me when I, I mean, I sort of suffered a similar injury sort of back in February, not ACL or MCL, but ligament damage to, to my knee. And I think, you know, I, I'm the same age as you. I'm, I'm 32. And I think I knew then that sort of, you know, I was going to see out the rest of the season in rehab. And I think for me, it was the, you know, it's the isolation. I think sometimes you can feel in rehab because you're separated from the squad. You know, the, you sort of see each other and give each other high fives at the start of the session. And they go out into the pitch and do their session. You're straight back into the rehab room with the physio. And I think um, you can you can feel a sort of sense of distance I think um you know you know you're not having the same interaction with with the players and you know you're you're close teammates and it's it's tough mentally um to not be out there and obviously not be a part of the games you know sitting on the the bench or not even on the bench but you know in the stands uh, for for some of the matches as well so yeah I think the importance of a rehab buddy is is always always key um yeah so I'm a sort of in a bad way, I'm, uh, it's horrible that you obviously have a rehab buddy in the first place going through a similar thing, but it's nice that I suppose you're going through a similar experience and can understand, you know, each other's perspectives because, like you said, I don't think anyone really gets it until they they go through it. Um, but, yeah, I think in terms of, obviously, you've got um, Simone at, at your club, but, you know, do you communicate with other players sort of around uh, the league who are going through similar injuries with, with you? I, I don't suppose uh, Beth Mee's been on the phone recently for a, uh, a quick, a quick catch-up, has she? Yeah. Do you know what? I actually joked we should just literally start our own like ACL WhatsApp group because there's that many of us now. Um, but no, I've, I've, I've spoke to Aoife Mannion a lot. Uh, she's been great uh, because obviously she's well in front of where I'm at. Um, and obviously I used to play over at Blues as well, so I know her and I know her family. Um, so we've been exchanging messages. Uh, I actually did a sort of an advert thing with her not long ago, so it was great to see her in person. So we had a catch up about it. Um, and it's nice, actually, because every time, you know, I see she hits a goal on Instagram, I'll drop her a message or she'll do the same for me. Uh, my best friends at United as well, Jade Moore. So every time I pick up the phone to her, she's like, oh, Aoife said this or Aoife said that, which is great. Um, and I've also I reached out to Rhea Percival um, because actually I, I, I really like her as a player. I don't really know her, um, but I, I think we're quite similar in terms of the way we play and stuff. And so, obviously, when she did hers, um, I just dropped her a message. So we have chatted and it was, do you know what? It's great to just, sometimes you can vent. And, and like I said before, like that other person really gets it. Whereas when you're doing it to a player who's playing, they are listening and they are trying. But unfortunately for them, they just don't, they're not in that place with you. Um, so it's been great. It's been really good to sort of just communicate with other players and find out, you know, okay, well, that's normal. They felt a little bit like that. Or here's where they're at. Here's a goal. That's what you're going to get to. Um, and I think that's really, really important because, like you said, it can be... It is a lonely, it's a lonely place with them. So I can only imagine what it would be like if you didn't have that sort of support. So I'm really grateful that, you know, them players are around. Obviously, I want them to get back ASAP so we don't have to have an ACL WhatsApp group. But <laughs> it is really nice to have them. That would be yeah. quite a beefy WhatsApp group at this rate. It would be, yeah. Yeah, some yeah. players. Yeah. We could create an 11 aside. ACLFC, by the way. ACLFC. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we'll just have the Fallon Door winner in it and stuff like that. Yeah. It'd be cool. <laughs> uh, you earned your UEFA A license early this year. <clears throat> I'm right. Yes, I um, did. If you're looking to become a coach, do you think you'll use your experience of this injury when, when coaching young players through difficult patches in their career? Oh, 100%, 100%. I mean, 
it's so hard. I look at it now, I want to manage and I look at the sort of the tasks that managers have and it's so full on. So it's so easy to, you know, not be able to check in or, you know, not sort of be there at times when you players probably need you. And to be fair to Carla, she does a fantastic job of that, always sort of just making sure she's around to just have a little check-in or have a vent if you need to. Um, and I just know how massively important that is because I class myself as being quite resilient and having a strong mindset. But I've really, really, really struggled. Um, so, you know, if there's players who possibly it's their first time doing it and they don't really understand the process or, you know, that they, they, they just struggle, it's going to be really important as coaches, as managers, as staff to sort of be that support network and be understanding, know when to push back and go, come on, you've got to push through this or know the days where it's like, do you know what, I think she needs, I think she needs a minute, like, <laughs> let's give her it sort of thing. Um, so it's, it's definitely, definitely important. And I, to be fair, I try to use my whole football career to base how I want to be as a manager or as a coach. And this is just another opportunity for me to learn for that. So do we think your coaching career is going to, or your managing career is going to be starting at Villa or are we sort of looking elsewhere? Can we get some <laughs> inside and scoop in here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think Carla no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I've, I mean... I mean, one day that would be incredible. Um, but I think they're doing all right without me, to be fair, player and coach right now. Um, no, it's, it's something in the future, whether that's at Villa or somewhere else. Um, I, I work with the RTC under-16s at the minute just to be on the grass and getting experience and just, you know, delivering bad sessions, good sessions and learning and stuff. Um, but yeah, eventually that's sort of the route I want to go down. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens in the future, really. All right, Carla Ward, what's your back? It's coming. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be sacked tomorrow, actually. <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, you've had some amazing highs uh, throughout your career. Um, and I just sort of wanted to get your perspective, I suppose, on, you know, an injury like this, you know, the significance of it. Does it sort of make you look back at, you know, some of those moments quite differently at all? Uh, do you know what? Yeah, I feel like the last year or so, I've really started to feel my age. Um, so I feel like I've been doing that a little bit more. And I, I have to be careful that I have, don't become, do you know, one of them old players that's like, in my day, we did it like this <laughs> to the younger players. Um, I was yeah. one of those, yeah. It was tragic. <laughs> they don't listen to me anyway. No. So. Um, but yeah, having done my knee, it does, it does make me ref reflect on my career and what I've done, uh, things I've enjoyed, things I haven't. Um, and it does make me really, really appreciate it. Um, like I said, you know, I want to come back from this. I want to keep playing. But whatever happens, I, I'm 100% I'm proud of the sort of career that I've had. I would have liked to have won some more trophies. I mean, that would have been great, but we can't have everything. Um, so, no, it's, it's, that's all you do, really, I think, when you're injured. Is you look back at games, you look back at moments in your career, and then you think about, OK, well, what can I do post this or what, when I'm back? what memories can I create? But yeah, it's been, it's probably been a nicer side of it actually, just reflecting a little bit and taking that time. Because when you're playing, you're just in it, you're just rolling from game to game and you can't think about anything but your next game. Uh, so this that time's probably been, yeah, quite nice. And probably the most important question, when you're back on the pitch, are we going to see the same never come off attitude uh, player <laughs> that we're so used to seeing? <laughs> I mean, I hope so. I think it's very much part of my DNA. Um, I think it's possibly kind of what's 
helped me have the career that I've had. Um, so I can't see that changing anytime soon. I mean, I'll probably be getting subbed off, so that might be the manager's decision. But my, me personally, I'm not going to want to come off if I can get back on the pitch. That's I mean, like the team are doing amazing right now, so <laughs> I might spend some time on the bench as it is. Well, they no, definitely won't be hear. winking and slapping you on the back in the same way they were before if anything does happen again. No, it's like, mate, are you OK? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which would be yeah. great. Um, yeah. No, Remy, that's been absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for, you know, for sharing your experiences of that. Um, and I, you know, I appreciate it. it's, it's difficult to sort of go back over the events and sort of talk about, you know, the impact that it has on your, your mental health. And um, yeah, I feel you because it's, um, it's a tough and it's a, it's a long road, but wishing you all the best from the upfront gang in getting back on that pitch ASAP because, yeah, we definitely want to see you back on that, that pitch again. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for joining us. No worries. Thank you for Thanks, having Ram. me. Thanks for talking about it. I think it's great that you're doing it. Right, gang, time for us to wrap up. Thanks for listening to Upfront. If you've got any questions for us, hit us up on Twitter. I am at Morgie underscore 89. Rach is at Girls on the Ball. We will see you next week. Upfront is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.